Good morning again. All right. So we are in Ephesians chapter 2 today. We're taking a look at verses 11 through 22. Um, This has been one of those, as Chris and I kind of map out and plan out sermon series, this is one that has been really good. Like I've been listening to Ephesians and um, a lot, uh, whether it's just in my headphones as I'm doing other stuff around or it's however, and I've really, really enjoyed this. This Ephesians has always been one of my favorite books of scripture, Um, just someplace that I know I can always go and, and gain and glean and and take away some wisdom or get my toes stomped when I know I need a good toe stomping um, or a flack behind the ears my father used to give me. Whatever I need, I can get that from Ephesians, and I, and I love it. So today we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. If you've got your Bible with you, that's fantastic. If not, it'll be on the screen. We are reading from the English Standard Version today. There we go. Therefore, remember that At one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now Christ Jesus You who once were far off have been brought near. I'm sorry, let me try verse 13 again. I skipped something. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again so much for this time we've had to be in your word, this time we've, we've spent worshiping you, and this time that we, we will continue to spend worshiping you through the hearing and the response of your word. Father, we pray that as, as I go into this time of, of looking into Ephesians chapter 2, that it, you'd put me aside and that it would be you, that this would honor and glorify you above all else, that it would, that it would convict us and challenge us and draw us near to you because it is your word. Father, just continue to speak to our hearts through your word this morning. Move in us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Anytime we dive into a Pauline letter, one of the, one of the jokes that we've, we've joked about off and on here at church is, is the run-on sentences and can he buy a comma? Holy cow, when's he ever going to finish this thought? Like, it's on and on and on. And, and I, that's one of the things, like, in my head, I see Paul, who's sitting in prison, writing this letter, just getting excited. 
And he just, the more excited he gets, he just can't contain his excitement as he's writing about our Lord, right? And he gets to this part in chapter 2, verse 11, and he starts off with a therefore. Paul loves to open up sections with a therefore, right? And so he opens this section with a therefore. And anytime we see a therefore in Scripture, but especially in a Pauline letter, we got to jump back and take a look at what he was talking about in the verses prior to that. Well, in verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right? He's introducing us in verse 10 to this, this theme of the new creation, which, which comes to us through Jesus and his redemption that he has given to us. Right? So, so he's, he's reminding us, this is, this is where, where we've been now, because of all of this, where you are in verse 10, now remember right? He's making us jump ahead a little bit. And before that, before we had Jesus in our lives, we were the uncircumcised. Now, he, he throws that out there, and I think it's interesting. You were the uncircumcision, by called by what was the circumcision. This, is, this uncircumcised term is, is a term of derision. It's an insult that the Jews used to kind of levy out to people who were non-Jews. It was the way that the ancient Jews made fun of Gentiles and, and those who were outside the covenant of God. And Paul's reminding them, before Jesus Christ was in your life, you were outside of the covenant of God. You weren't in Christ. Not being in Christ also means that you were then not in God. And he tells us of our desperate state in verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We were separated. We were in a, in a desperate state, separated from him. John 4.22 reminds us that salvation came to us from the Jews, but it was them who, who rejected Jesus, right? That, that Jesus being Jewish himself, where salvation comes from. And that we see in, in the ancient texts of the Old Testament, that we see that, that it was the old Jews that were, were to be the light of the world for everyone. But we were alienated from Israel, having no knowledge of the goodness of the covenant of the relationship with God, not understanding any of that. God administered His, His Old Testament redemption through covenants. And the New Covenant in Christ fulfills all of those other covenants, fulfills, fulfills all the divine promises of, of God's Old Testament covenants and all God's Old Testament promises. And, and Paul believed that all Gentiles apart from Christ were unsaved and without God. And, and Paul was right. Apart from Christ, all are unsaved and without God. See, the, there are these old divisions of people. And the old divisions were you were either a Jew or you were not a Jew. That's, how, that's kind of how the Old Testament was set it aside. You were a Jew and you were God's people. Or you were not a Jew and you were not God's people. Sometimes you might see it in the New Testament written as, you're a Jew or you're a Greek. Right? You're a Jew or a Gentile. And, and the Jews were seen as having God. The Gentiles were seen as, as not having God. Jesus in his work on the cross has created a completely new entity. Neither Jew nor Gentile, the church. That's who he's created, a new man, a new creation here. Jesus has brought, and, and he continues to bring near to God, those who are separated from God by their sin. 
And through Jesus and through Jesus alone, you can have access to God, the creator of all the universe. Jesus willingly went to the cross and died so that, so that we, those who were at one time separated from God, could have access to God. For he himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace. This is a wonderful thought, and it's, and it's such a comforting piece of knowledge for us. That it is Jesus who has given us an opportunity for a harmonious friendship with God. And, and not just a harmonious friendship with God, but a harmonious friendship with one another within the church. It's Jesus who, who has made both one in that case. And again, Jesus has destroyed the barrier between Jew and Gentile. As Paul's writing this letter, he's, he's got Jews that are in Ephesus that have come to know Christ. He's got Gentiles that are in Ephesus who have come to know Christ. And they're trying to figure out how do we get both these cultures working together to become one new culture, the church. And all of them have come to God through Christ. And Paul's reminding them that, that that's the unifier. Jesus has created this unified people from many different hostile camps. And in Revelation 7, 9, he says, After I looked, John's, John's seeing this, after, I, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. In worship and in awe, unified with one purpose, to glorify our God. This, this is the church. This is the church. People of different ethnicities, people of different backgrounds, people of different earthly cultures being unified into one culture for one purpose. The worship of Jesus Christ and the proclamation of His gospel. You know, Leah and I have had, had numerous opportunities to, to do short-term mission trips. And it is really neat to be someplace where you're the, you're the duck out of water. I don't speak Quechua, but I've been in those parts of Ecuador. I don't speak Spanish, and I've been to Mexico several times. I don't, I don't do any of that stuff well. And yet, I can be with brothers and sisters in Christ in those settings and still feel at home. Because the home is the church. It's the body of Christ loving Jesus loving people, proclaiming the gospel. I can still feel at home. Verse 15, Paul continues on, and he talks to us about how Jesus has abolished the law of the commandments and the ordinances. And he's, he's referring back to the old Mosaic law of the Old Testament. The law had many ordinances about how ancient Israel was to be separate from all the surrounding countries and all the surrounding peoples. That law was a dividing wall. Right? But Christ has fulfilled all of the Old Testament Mosaic law. And in fulfilling the law, Jesus has rendered the law powerless to condemn or divide those who believe in him. The result is, is this new man, a new people, who are no longer under the sin of Adam, but are now under the freedom of the second Adam, Jesus and under that freedom of the second Adam, under that freedom of Jesus, we are being recreated in Jesus' image, being made more and more like Him. And he continues, 
And as he does, he says, and he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Jesus has brought together enemy combatants into peaceful relations. Right? We're seeing that now lift out in a, in a modern time. We're seeing Israel, a Jewish nation, having enemy combatants with Hamas in Gaza. But through Christ, those folks can be at peace with one another and peace with God. It's hard for us to kind of wrap our head around that sometimes, that it's Jesus who brings about that kind of peace. Nothing else. No diplomats, no politicians are ever going to do that. It's Jesus and Jesus alone in the lives of those who follow him. He brings enemy combatants. One, we were enemies to God, and now we're in a peaceful relationship with him. And two, we have been enemies with one another, and now we're in peaceful relations with others because of the work of Jesus Christ. And it's through the work of Christ on the cross that, that Jesus has satisfied God's wrath against his enemies. It's hard to think. I got saved at a young age and started living for Christ really in, in high school and college. And, and it's hard to sometimes remember that at one point in time, I was an enemy of God. But because Jesus and the sacrifice he made, I'm now at peace with God. Not just an armistice, not just a ceasefire, but now I'm friends with God. Church, that is what happens every time someone comes to salvation through Jesus. They no longer are a combatant against God, but they are now friends. And then as they come into the church, then we as a church body, we are united in one body, the church. I love the, the, the way Paul describes this. He, he describes this kind of reconciliation really vividly here. He says that Jesus kills the hostility that, that stood in the way of us having peace with God. He kills the hostility. Jesus is hostile to the hostility to get rid of it. This is the gospel of peace that Jesus the Messiah preached. He preached a repentance of sin and a turning from self and a turning toward God that, that brings about peace. That repentance of sin, that turning from self and following Christ gives us access now to the Father. We can, through Christ, enjoy God forever. And this is just such a, an, a mind-blowing thing to think about sometimes. It, this is kind of the ultimate accomplishment of Jesus' earthly work that he did here for redemption for us. And moving forward in verse 19, Paul says, so then, all right, so then is kind of like Paul saying, therefore, right? Or, or him saying, now because of all of that, right? So then says to, to refer back to what was just written. So here the so then refers back to all of the highlighted work of Christ that Paul has given to us through verses 11 and 8 through 18. All of the things that Jesus has done to, to bring out what we've done. He's, he's taken us from being aliens and, and, and foreigners to making us now friends with God. He's, he's reconciled us. He's, he's redeemed. All of these things, he's talking about that. And because of all that Jesus has done, those who have repented and follow him are now saints and members of the household of God. Paul's reminding 
Christians of this. Remember, the, when, when we read these letters, these are letters not written to the lost. These are letters written to the church. These are letters written to those who have, who have claimed Christ in their lives. And he's reminding Christians of this. And he's trying to thoroughly convince them that they are not what they used to be. Don't let the memories of the past drag you down. You're more than that now. You are now something new in Christ. You're no longer strangers and aliens, but members of the household. This idea of strangers in the ancient Near East, and specifically in cities like Ephesus, had a very different connotation than it does for us. Right? Strangers then is almost a political term. There are individuals who were complete foreigners, and as such, they had absolutely no rights or no privileges within the community. Right? They didn't have like vacation visas in the ancient Near East. Because even with a vacation visa here to the United States from a foreign country, you still have a few rights and a few, few privileges that are allotted you. These were people that would have been just passing through and they had no right for anything as they were a stranger under that term. Aliens were the non-citizens who were afforded some customary rights. These were, were people who had maybe not become a citizen. Right? They, were, they were given some rights and they were given some privileges, but just as neighbors. And it was really only the citizens who had full rights and privileges within a community. Jesus has made us citizens within the kingdom of God. But what it says here in the scripture is not just citizens within the kingdom of God, but members of the king's household. That's huge. One, it's just huge to be realized that I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God, that I have all the rights, privileges, and responsibilities due me as a citizen of the kingdom of God. But then Jesus says, no, you are also a member of the household of God with all the rights, privileges, duties, and responsibilities that fall into that as well. See, that household is, is, is this beautiful household that has Christ as its cornerstone. And the gospel message that the apostles preached as its foundation. And it's a household that is still being built today. As we proclaim the gospel, we tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. Hearers respond to that by conviction of the Holy Spirit. And they repent and they live for Christ the church is being built and the church is being joined together. The temple is where God dwells and, and, and it is his people where he now dwells. It's no longer a temple in Jerusalem. And being part of that visible church should not be even be like a, a considered option for, for believers in Christ. It's a must. The holy temple is where, where God meets his people in joyful worship and fellowship. And, and we, the followers of Christ, are that temple. And belonging to a group of committed followers of Christ is, is necessary for fellowship. And it's necessary for the work of the gospel. And we see that Paul is reminding us of all of these things. He's reminded us that, that we were once alienated from God. And he's reminded us that, that we have now been reconciled to God. And he's reminded us that our identity has been made new. 
See, before the, before the gospel of Jesus Christ convicted you and brought you to repentance, you were completely alienated from God. You were Christless. And I know I'm saying that in Morgan County, Indiana, where, where we've got weekday religious education that all third and fourth grade kids seem to go to. And we've got more vacation Bible schools than we know what to do with. And we've, we've got all these ways of getting the gospel presented to people. But until you have repented and you have come to Jesus Christ, until you've said, God, I need your forgiveness, and you have fallen on your face and begged him for that mercy and grace that he gives, until you've come to that realization that you're at the end of yourself and the only hope out is Jesus, you are still Christless. You are without the Messiah. You have no knowledge of the messianic hope that Paul and the other Jews in his time had. Now, I understand that we still see that there are Jews who deny Jesus as the Messiah. But even those Jews who are denying Jesus Christ as the Messiah, if they're spending time reading their Old Testament, it still points them to Jesus as the Messiah. And to be separated from Christ is to be separated from His salvation. And this is a hopelessness that we who have Christ have come from. And it's good to remember that we were once just as hopeless as those that we want to minister to and proclaim the gospel to. But not only were we Christless, we were also foreigners. And not just any kind of foreigner. Without Christ, you were foreigners who had no hope of citizenship. Jesus is the only pathway to the citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. There's no other way, and without him, there is no hope for citizenship there. Paul is specifically writing to some Ephesian Gentiles who have come to know Christ. But without Christ, they were foreign to the knowledge of hope that the covenants of the Old Testament bring. The Jews amongst that church would have known that hope from, from having been raised in the Old Testament. But the Gentiles who have come to know Christ would not have known that beforehand. They were foreign to the promise of God and the promise that He has to bring about a people for Himself through Jesus the Messiah. And Paul tells us that not only were we alienated and, and a foreigner, we were also hopeless and godless. All the way back, God had always planned to bless all the nations through Israel in the Old Testament. Right? The Gentiles didn't know that. A lot of Gentiles still don't know that. They didn't have the Scriptures to teach them that. Right? They chose idols in Paul's time. We choose idols in today as well. They chose to worship the created rather than the creator. And because they did not know God, they did not know any true hope. Before you place your faith in Christ for salvation, you're in the same tragic state as the Gentiles that Paul's writing to 2,000 years ago. You were separated from God and from His people. And it's important to remember that truth. Because if you continue to remember where you have come from, you will always... You will always be grateful toward God for what He has done. And you will show love towards His people because you understand where they have come from too. So once you are alienated, but now, but now you are reconciled, right? This reconciliation happens because of the work of Christ on the cross. Christ physically died in a public, visible way. He, he did this willingly on the behalf of, of sinners. 
He bore the punishment that you and I deserve. Because of what Christ has done on the cross, we can have union with him. The work on the cross is central. I understand that it is a bloody and it is a violent event. I understand that that it makes some folks a little squeamish to think about the blood on the cross. I understand that there are congregations this morning that may not be talking about the blood that is on the cross that Jesus had. I feel for them. I feel for those congregations that are missing this. The blood on the cross that Jesus willingly shed is necessary for your salvation. It was a sacrifice that had to be paid. Jesus took all of the punishment and Jesus received all of the wrath as he was on the cross so sinful people like you and me could be completely forgiven. And in reconciling us through his work on the cross, Jesus brings us peace. I love that the Old Testament describes peace as being found in a person. We see that in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and we see it in, in Micah 5, 5. And, and we see then that, that peace is affirmed as coming through one person in the Gospels. Luke 1.79 says that. Luke 2.14 says that. Luke 19.42 says that. John 14.27 says that. And then we see it written about in the letters to the churches in the New Testament. As Paul describes it that way in Romans 5.1 and Colossians 1.20 and Colossians 3.15. Jesus is our Prince of Peace. When we have Him in our lives, there's a, there's a peace there. Not just, not just a, a calm. Not just an armistice. Not just a ceasefire between you and God. But you have now been made friends and brought into the family of God. That level of peace. God has taken one who was once his enemy and brought them into his home. In in reconciling us through his work on the cross, Jesus has made us one. As Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, there there was a literal physical wall in the temple of Jerusalem where the Gentiles had to stop. There was was a, a partition in the temple. If you were a Gentile, you could walk up to that partition and you would see, written in Greek and in Latin, a warning saying, Gentile, stop. If you go past this place, we are not responsible for your death. That's what it said on that wall, that if you were a Gentile, you couldn't go past that. Past that was a place only for the Jews to be able to go worship. When Jesus died on the cross, he did so for both Jews and the Gentiles, and he spiritually tore down any barriers that may hinder those who follow him to see the Father. Church, this means that Christians should be people who are are willing to forgive one another because of all that we have been forgiven. It, when I think about that, tearing down the barriers, it means that we should be, be willing to, to look at the barriers and, and say, no, my Jesus broke barriers so that I may not have any between me and my God. I should also not have barriers between people who need reconciliation too. When we look at one another, we should see someone who was forgiven just as much as I was forgiven. 
and know that they are my brother or they are my sister. And in reconciling us through his work on the cross, Jesus has given us access to God the Father. For through him, we both have access in one spirit with the Father. Paul's describing prayer when we see that, right? Access to the Father. It's a conversation with him. When we have prayer, we have a conversation with the Father. We have that conversation through the Son, and we have it by the Spirit. Paul's describing us being able to individually go one-on-one in prayer to God. We have an amazing access to God the Father, creator of the universe. Think about that. The one who spoke things into existence and breathed life into man. Because of the work Jesus did on the cross, we can go to him through Jesus in the Spirit and have access to pr- in prayer. So you have been once alienated, but if you have Christ, you're now reconciled. But the reconciliation is just the beginning of that journey. In reconciling you, Jesus has made you something new. You're now a citizen of God's kingdom. And I love this. It's not, it's not green card status, right? It's, it's not work visa status. This is full citizenship with all the rights and privileges that a citizenship in the kingdom of God would bestow. And I talked about this earlier, just a touch. You know that if you've ever been a foreigner in a foreign country, you know you feel a bit vulnerable. I, I lost my translator one time in a marketplace in Mexico. I clearly stand out in central Mexico as someone who does not belong here. I felt a little vulnerable. It was a little sketchy. I knew just enough Spanish to get myself in trouble. And that was about it. I understand that vulnerability. But as a citizen of the kingdom of God, that vulnerability now goes away. You belong. When you belong to God, you belong. And you belong to a kingdom that knows no end. Everything here will fade away, melt away, be dissolved. But the kingdom of our God lasts forever. And not only are you a citizen of the, of the kingdom of God, in reconciling you, Jesus has made you a member of God's household. Paul's writing this letter to a church in the ancient Near East that, that has both Gentiles and Jews in it. And, and you can, they can probably see themselves living in the same kingdom, right? The Roman Empire at this point in time had, had conquered most of the known world. So yeah, we got Jews living in Ephesus. We got Gentiles living in Ephesus. We got the Romans making sure that we don't act stupid toward one another. It's what Pax Romana was, right? Peace by power. But here is something different. This is something different altogether. The church is made up of a bunch of adopted brothers and sisters. God is our Father. And we have responsibilities within that family. Each one of us fulfills a role in the family. But the one goal we all have as adopted brothers and sisters is to bring glory to the Father. The church is not a building we go to or an event we attend. The church is a family living and working together on mission. 
Look at the church as, as part of your identity in Christ. Spend time with the church, finding your role in, in God's household. Treat one another like family. You know, it's when I think about these things and I think about who we are, the word ecclesia, right, is, is kind of where we get our idea of the word church. And it means the gathering of the people. It's not the brick and the mortar. It's not the wood and the, and the plaster. It's God's people gathered for God's purpose. And he then takes that and builds something beautiful with it. Because see, in reconciling you, Jesus has made you stones in God's temple, right? When Jesus died on the cross in 33 AD the, in Jerusalem, the, the temple in Jerusalem was spiritually destroyed. It was no longer the center of Yahweh worship. Sure, there were Jews that would still go and they would still practice, but, but Yahweh had moved on past the temple. He was, he was that time has passed. Worship of the one true God takes place within his people. He dwells in us. We are the stones and the building blocks of his temple. Jesus is our cornerstone. It is Jesus that gives the temple its alignment. It's Jesus that gives the temple its security. It's Jesus that keeps the temple being built true. We are joined together and we are built together. Each one is as important as the next one. Every person counts. And we need each other's talent. We need each other's time. We need each other's treasure, their love, resources, encouragement, and rebuke. Yes, we need your rebukes as well. We are called to live the Christian life together, centered on Christ and rooted in the teachings of Scripture. What does that mean for us today? How do we apply this now? First, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you to come to Christ. If you want to know more about Jesus, come speak to me during our invitation time if you're here. If not, get a hold of me somehow through our, our, our video service and, and Facebook send me a message. I want to share Jesus with you, period. If you're a follower of Christ right now, let me challenge you to elevate your concept of the local church. Think about it as something more than just a place you go or people you hang out with. See, Jesus's desire is to create a people for his sake to glorify the Father. We're not to be isolated to be isolated from the church as a Christian is to be a brick that's not part of a building or a child who chooses to be separated from their family. Belonging to the local church is a found, fundamental part of our identity in Christ. God intends for us to, to live out our faith and live out our love for one another in a community. Find that local church community. See how you fit in. I'm going to tell you this. If you have Jesus in your life, you have something to offer that local church body. Ask God to help you find where you're supposed to be. What part of that body of Christ are you? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you. I thank you that as we... We look at, at all the things that, that you have done for us, making us one in Christ. Oh, that we can be so excited 
that, that we're no longer aliens and foreigners, that we have been reconciled and that, that you're making us new. I thank you for that. Father, I pray for, the, for this group that's gathered here, that as, as a church body, we remember that, that, that we've all been alienated and without you. That we're now reconciled and have access to you. And that you're building something new and using us to do that. Father, I pray that as, as we remember these things, that, that you still have us mull over this, this passage of Scripture in Ephesians 2, that you would just continue to, to convict us, to challenge us. Father, I pray that as we get ready to, to sing one last song and take some time to just respond to your word, you would continue to just move in us. Draw us closer to you through your word. Give us the, the gumption to realize we've got work to do as a family. And then give us the work to do. Father, I thank you so much for that. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things.